Entrepreneurs can get stuck in their head. If you dream of changing the world, but you're not sure where to start, the Add Value to Entrepreneurs podcast will help you transform your life and business. This podcast is for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life that they desire. You deserve it, and it is possible. It's time for you to add value. This episode is brought to you by Perfect Publishing. Perfect Publishing is a different approach to publishing a book. Perfect Publishing is sharing a project of hope. We carefully chose heroes of hope who exemplify living a life they created through faith, hope, patience, and persistence. No matter what page you open to in this mini cube of hope, you will find a leader with a big heart. You see you are not alone. The authors may share similar challenges that only hope and action could resolve. Get your free ebook at getadoseofhope.com. Get a dose of hope.com. Today's guest is L. Ingalls. Have you ever wished there was a magic way to stop stress from messing with you? A way to reduce chronic illness, stress fat, feel less worried or anxious, stop self sabotaging and eroding your relationships? L. Ingalls can show you how. She's the creator of the pressure free method. It's an on the go stress management method that you can use anywhere, anytime. This is the ultimate work smarter, not harder formula. Elle draws on her experience as a performance coach, executive, professional musician, community leader, and parent of three grown sons, plus her three degrees from the University of Michigan and decades of research to help you break the stress cycle and experience your full potential. Elle Ingalls and Robert have a fantastic discussion about stress and pressure and the impact on performance. Elle started coaching her own boys to have less stress when playing sports, and when their performance improved, more and more players asked for her help. Then she started helping entire teams and organizations find the joy of pressure-free performance. Elle, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to have this conversation and just looking forward to sharing your journey with our audience. Fabulous. I'm so happy to be here, Robert. Absolutely. Now I just lost who referred you. Ah, Leela. 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 I knew that. Man. Okay. So I want to thank Leela, of course, and and of course, thank everyone that's listening and uh I'm very grateful that you've taken the opportunity to join me, and I'm grateful that Leela made the the referral for us. And so, just looking forward to sharing your journey and, and your story. So, I typically have each guest just start with with their own entrepreneurial journey and share what's got you to where you are now and, and what you're offering the world. Sure, sounds great. Um... Yeah, I, I kind of fell into being an entrepreneur. So I didn't wake up one morning and say, boom, this is what I want to do. Um, it's, it's kind of got three pieces to it, really. If you think about all the different things you've learned in life and all the different gifts and talents you have, and, and then how they start to, like all the cogs of the wheels start to fit into place, if you will. Um, that's really what happened to me in 2010. But if we go back to high school, um, in high school, I was a track athlete, did a lot of other sports too, but that was my big one. And um, I wanted to have a really great senior season. So I was working out all winter long. I was like one of the first girls in the 80 weightlifting, you know, weightlifting with the football players, <laughs> just trying to get super strong for my final season. And um, I wanted to run in college, but I was training in the wrong shoes. So I ended up ruining my knees and I could to the point, Robert, where I could barely walk. Like it was really bad. 
And so I had to leave the team and it kind of caused a crisis in me. So I went to the coaches and said, can I apprentice coach? Can I help you? I'll take stats. I'll keep splits. I'll do whatever you want, but I can't, I don't want to leave my team. I love my team. So of course they wanted the extra hands and I was just doing it all learning, learning from them and, and following their lead. But then something unusual started to happen toward the end of the season. As we got into those bigger meets, there would be this little line of kids, girls and boys who wanted me to talk to them before their big events. So like before the high jump, there'd be this little group and they're like, just help us calm down. You know exactly what to say. And I've been a violinist since I was tiny. So I know how to perform very well on stage. So I would just share these little simple tools for them so they could have a great event. So that was kind of the germ, you know, in the beginning. And then um, when I got to college, uh, when I did my graduate degree, um, I was the first woman in orchestral conducting at the University of Michigan, which is a very prestigious program. And it was like a miracle I got in. <laughs> and so broke a glass ceiling. It was during that um, degree program, after a concert that I had conducted, um, the soloist was a clarinetist and he asked me to perform on my violin on his senior recital. So of course I said, yes, the concert had just gone great. I was in a great mood, but then I was also doing an MBA at the same time. So I really didn't have a lot of time to practice. And, and I'm like, crap, I got to practice Mozart. I've got to work this thing up so I can play for this guy. And everything was fine. Rehearsals went great. When we stepped out on stage and for any of you who ever have to speak in front of a meeting, a group of people at any time, any public speaking, in this case, it was performing. When I stood out on stage, we walked out there. Normally there's just a little handful of people at a senior recital. This kid must've been so popular because it was standing room only. Like that it was from actually standing three deep in the back. And when I looked in the back, there were all of the string professors. So violin, viola, cello, bass, all of the string faculty had come to watch our quartet play with this guy. And I just, it was like, it's like, who's in the room? So you can speak to a lot of people and never have any sort of stage fright or panic attack happen. But then suddenly there's that one person in the room. <laughs> well, when I saw that string faculty, that was it for me. I was just like, oh no. And I had for the first time ever in my life, I think I was 26 at the time, a full-blown panic attack. Now we didn't call it that back then. We called it stage fright. But when I got back to my apartment, I was like, this can never happen again. I can't stand in front of a 70 piece orchestra and have a breakdown. So we didn't have any magic little boxes back then, no devices, right? So I went to the Michigan Medical Library where I had done some research for a paper once. And I just went to the research librarians and said, I want everything you've got on mind, body connection, um, stage fright, you know, anything along those lines. And I just started creating from that research ways to always perform well, which I've used for years. All right, so here comes the third part. Fast forward 2010, and I have three sons. We have three sons. My oldest two were playing baseball for the same team, high school team. And my senior, my high school senior said to me, mother, you should teach the boys your mental toughness tools that you teach your violin students. We would be amazing. 
you've taught him to us and you know, you should just teach it to all the boys. And I just started laughing, like who wants their mother in the dugout? That's what I said. <laughs> like, and he goes, no, seriously, I want you in the dugout. And he looked at my, you know, his brother, my other son and Ned's like, yes, we want you to do this. So I put together some writing. My husband gave me some baseball graphics and tightened up the language because he's a pro writer. I took this little rude pamphlet to my, act crude, I shouldn't say rude, although it might've been a little rude, but <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely crude. I took it to the coaches, took it to the tough coach first, who I knew if he didn't like it, the boys would not respect me. And he gave me the thumbs up. He actually said this had a lot of merit and that I should work with the boys. So then I took it to the head coach and on the spot, he asked me to be his private coach. He was a financial planner. It was 2010. And he says, I just need to see a caller ID of a client. And it just throws me right into stress. So, um, so he became my first client. I worked with those boys one by one. I just sat right on the grass and coached them. And that turned into, of course, word of mouth. It started getting out that I had this way I could help people de-stress. I could help people perform well in the heat of the moment. And then it was like, honestly, Robert, it's like a download from above where suddenly all that stuff from the past, all the research I've ever done on these subjects to help my students perform well, myself perform well, it all came together and I created the pressure-free method. So it is a proven method that helps you break the stress cycle, which people do not talk about because most people don't even know about it. And so the stress cycle in a male can last up to nine hours and in a female can last up to 24. So what I do is I teach you how to not overreact to even small annoyances or the big things happening in your life so that you have full mental and physical capability to get you through whatever you need to get through. I had no idea when I started this, how it would be so impactful for people mentally and physically. Some of my clients have had diseases they've had their whole life just completely go into remission. Um, I have myself. Um, relationships improve. So I have people say, I can't believe it. Now I'm talking to my teenager whereas before that was an issue. So, so many um, ancillary be benefits to whatever their original reason to coming to me was that, um, that it's, it's really been a beautiful journey for the past 12 years that I've been doing it. Mm, so good. I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan of this mind body connection and, and, just recognizing that the state of our culture and the state of our mental health and how much, how much stress and anxiety is avoidable. Yes. <laughs> if yes. people, if people understood um, and, and, and the reality is that, I mean, obviously in my world, Viktor Frankl is, is, you know, a huge and, and, you know, his, his famous quote is that, <laughs> between stimulus and response, there's, there's this moment, right? This, no. this moment that you get the choice, you get to choose, uh, wow. choose your response. And I think the majority of people feel like their lives are outside of their control. Like yes. there's, you know, the, this is all happening to me. I'm a victim of my circumstances and the conditions and, and, and L you just, you just don't understand 
right? You, you just don't understand I'm different than everybody else. Oh, per yeah, you're a special snowflake. And here's the deal. When you are under the influence of the stress response, that is your reality. And it's your brain is not cognitively even able to find that moment mm. from, from those. And that's why people will feel that. And that's why we have so much mental illness today. And that's why we have so many people suffering unnecessarily as you're bringing forward. And it's not your fault. Like if this is you, if you're feeling this, honestly, you were never taught this. You were never taught how your body works in fight or flight. And once I teach that to you and you understand why your hands are sweaty or why your face turns red or why your brow is furrowed or your jaw is tight, why you can't breathe, why your gut hurts. You know, it's it's not a gut health problem. I'm sorry, but it's not. You're not mm -hmm. actually allergic to all those foods. <laughs> but your stomach can't work right when you're caught in the stress cycle. Well, and, and I think I think you know this this current epidemic of depression and the number of people take, taking these antipsychotics and all of these other pills to eliminate the sadness in their world and and start to recognize so you mentioned fight and flight which is being triggered by this anxiety and stress so the brain is dumping you know cortisol and adrenaline into the body which is designed for yeah, fight or flight it's your adrenal glands so yeah it's it's, good. it's it's designed it's designed to get into a boxing match or or to run away at really high speeds it's Correct. not designed to sit on the couch that's right and so it's we're doing not. We're doing even a bigger disservice because not only are we dumping that, that those chemicals into our body, but we're not using our body in the way those chemicals are designed. And so then those chemicals are just sitting there inside of us doing yuck and making us feel the opposite of what they're designed to do. Because they're actually in motion. They're designed to give you that runner's high. They're designed to give you that, 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 uh, that little extra oomph when you're, when you're in activity. But when you're inactive, all and, they are is actually, well, actually, I coach a lot of athletes, and I teach them to find their sweet spot. Mm. So, for example, um, and this became so clear at a retreat I held this summer. There was a fellow at my retreat who was a sprinter when he was in high school. And what I teach my runners is that when they have warmed up and they're on the starting line, the, tr the sound of the starting gun can actually cause them to trigger fight or flight. So then no matter what the race is, it could be 100, 200, 400, two mile, doesn't matter, they'll hit the wall. Mm. So I was teaching that this summer and um, this fellow goes, oh my gosh, it was an epiphany for him. So he ran 100, 200, and then he ran relays. So he did a four by five, 400. And he said, this is, or four by 100. He goes, this is amazing. Four by 100, I'm not anywhere near the starting gun. His times were always faster and he never hit the wall on that final final leg because he was the, the anchor leg. But if he was on the starting line for 100, he would hit the wall. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yes. So when you find that sweet spot as an athlete, like I have a, my youngest son was 10 when I created this method. He's been using it since he was 10. And I'm not saying, I, I'm not even, I don't use the word proud with my sons at all. This is their lives and what they've created. I'm thrilled for them. So my son was salutatorian of the last class at Columbia University. And 
during his senior year, he ran five marathons in seven months. Wow. Which sounds pretty crazy, but he has so much of a capability over his mind and his body to be able to do things both academically and physically that most people would say that, how can you do that? <laughs> so I'm watching this experiment. I consider it his experiment, right? <laughs> a little, little bit of yours. <laughs> yeah, right. A little bit of mine, exactly. Um, but it's it's fascinating to to watch and see what happens. And so you're absolutely right that once we have triggered fight or flight, um, and actually there are two floods of hormones. So the first flood is, is to allow us to fight and run away. Then there's a second flood that releases from the adrenal gland, the outer cortex goes straight into the bloodstream so it can get to everywhere very quickly. And those are called glucocorticoids. So glucose and cortisol. You hear a lot about cortisol today. People are trying to take things to lower their cortisol um, they're smoking weed, they're taking melatonin, they're doing these things because they think they need to lower the cortisol. I consider that quite dangerous. If you have triggered adrenaline, you've actually damaged your neurons and the cortisol and glucose go out to fix the salt, sugar, water content of your brain cells and your extremities to power you back up, to get the cells back to normal. So if you try to lower cortisol and you have released the adrenaline, you're actually doing your brain a real big disservice. And, and I'm con actually concerned about what's going to be happening to people um, over time if they don't understand the link of what happens in the adrenaline phase, what happens in the glucocorticoid phase. Both phases, by the way, have a ton of side effects. And two side effects of the second flood are cortisol is your wake-up drug, so you'll be a wide awake at 2 a.m. <laughs> or you can't get to sleep. That's because you had your argument right after you got home from work or whatever. So now you're trying to get to sleep and you can't because the cortisol is released. It also can cause your brain to feel anxious for no reason. That, that kind of generalized anxiety or nervousness or worry. And you're like, wow, I shouldn't be worried here, but why am I so worried? I mean, I'm safe. The roof doesn't leak, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever you've got going here. But that will be going on. And it's solely your biology creating your psychology. Mm. So when you understand what's happening with these two floods and the different side effects of both, you, we can start to untangle and figure out what's really happening with you. And then that, so part one of what I do with people tar is, is to find their targets. What do you really want to have happen? Do you want to be able to take tests well? Or do you want to be able to speak in front of a class or a meeting or a, on a stage? Um, do you want to run faster? Do you want a promotion at work? Like, what is it that you want? You want a better relationship? What don't you want too? Like, I don't want heart disease. I don't want cancer. I don't want um, diabetes. Those are the three things that took my parents. Mm. So I'm staying clear of that as long as I possibly can, <laughs> hopefully forever. Um, so what don't you want? And then step two are identifying those triggers like you were saying. So what is it that's making you overreact, causing you to overreact and release these hormones? One of the things I teach people is that, especially if you trigger fight or flight, over um, annoyances and anger, you I'm sure you can justify, even your anxiety, I'm sure you can justify why you're worried. You can justify and rationalize why you have every right to be angry here. You've told someone a million times to put their socks away and they have- Righteous anger, woohoo! Makes that, it so much better. 
all of that. And so because your brain wants to always be rationalized and justifying what's happening to you, that's very natural. So if you can step back and say to yourself, you know, sure, I could easily justify being angry in this moment, but who's it going to hurt? It hurts you the most, but it also erodes your relationship with the other being. So when you start to really look at, oh, my target is to have a good relationship with this person, but I'm eroding it every time I get upset about this. And because you got that nine hour or 24 hour effect, you're actually eroding that relationship for hours after well, the initial incident. And, and the impact on your body, because guess what? If you're triggered by that little annoyance, is, is something else going to annoy you in that nine hour period and start the cycle all over again? All over and, again. And there's yeah. people that are living in, in fight or flight constantly. Their, yes. their brain Many. thinks they're being eaten or chased by lions all the time. All yeah. 99.99% of people, that is the case. Oh my and when, gosh. I learned, when I learned it in 2010, I cried because I thought, how old was I? when I didn't feel angry, anxious, annoyed, ashamed, mm. um, wasn't environmentally triggered at least once a day, probably age two, if not never, mm. never, because we start triggering when we're in utero. We can hear everything. You don't have to put headphones on your baby. <laughs> That's water. Go underwater. You can hear the boat two miles away, right? You can, we heard everything. So we heard harsh voices. Anytime our moms were stressed, and that's that's the only two things I've, I have found in deep research about autism are maternal stress and aged sperm. Mm. Right there, okay? So a mother, a, a woman who finds out she's pregnant immediately has ability to be stressed. So we got to back that out. Absolutely. Well, in, in our culture, we've just created this, this, this huge drama influence right i mean our i mean the same brain that that's triggering fight and flight thinking there's a lion outside every door want trying trying to keep us alive right that's that's what the brain and and these glands are trying to do this is this is protection to keep human beings alive right. um is now getting this influx of mr device here and television and and social media feeds and all of these feeds that are funded by drama, right? People are, are entertained by the drama. And so the, the news shares drama because they want to get people to watch. Right. The television right. reality shows create drama because they want to get people to watch. And of course, social media just multiplies drama because they want to get people engaged on their app. And so not only are, are people getting triggered by their own life and experiences they're getting triggered by all the crud that's happening out there in the world sure. and 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 they're sitting there watching the evening news getting triggered to fight or flight because of a bonfire in california and an earthquake in australia and a war in eastern europe wow. and and it's yeah it's not the brain is not programmed to handle all of this influx of of information and people are just living by default right they're not they're not intentionally taking responsibility for what they're allowing in there. And, yeah. and of course, by, by elevating that drama level, the brain is on the edge constantly, right? The brain, 
for for many people they're they're living on the edge and it all it takes is hearing a baby cry next door at your next door neighbors and they're triggered oh yes you don't you don't have to be up here yeah a baby crying is 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 right at the top of the list for most people when it comes to triggering the stress response um and the evening news i did a survey once and that came in number three (laughs) <laughs> so watching the evening news is a number three, number three on this uh, of the stressors. One one that's really interesting is um, adult children worry about adult children's lives. Hmm. So um, if I'm interviewing people um, who have adult children, there there's just so much worry and concern there for the next generation. And um, and you know what that worry what I what I teach is how that worry actually corrupts it even more. So, well, because so, yeah. because they're watching the news and they're and they're looking at the world for, through negative glasses. I haven't watched the news since 1993. So, Good um, for you. <laughs> me. So yeah, I don't. I I have my ways of getting my news, but I do not. I haven't watched television news since '93. I tell people all the time that it'll find you if 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 it's important or matters. You'll somebody will tell you. Like, oh sure, yeah, you'll, you'll find out. And, and so it's, it's not that important. And, yeah. and I, and I think just lowering that drama edge makes a huge difference, right? Being intentional. Well, yeah. about what And you're actually feeling, what you I know. like to do is I like to empower people so that they can engage without triggering fight or flight. Exactly. You there know, you go. I work with a lot of C-suite execs. Um, <laughs> uh, I work with all different people, but my people in, in that place there, um, it's just so, and entrepreneurs, business owners, where, um, you know, I, I'm writing a book right now called The Pressure-Free CEO. Nice. And I did research on on people that we've lost. So people who've lost to heart disease, cancer, and suicide. Mm-hmm. And with entrepreneurialism, it's, um, it, it's suicide, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the biggest one. And the thing about it is, um, until you understand the empowerment, until you get that piece, you can't be the leader you really want to be. And, and you know, you might not get the wake up call. Most CEOs who have a heart attack don't get a second chance. Like they don't get the wake up call one. It is it. That is it. And one of the reasons is when you trigger fight or flight, the adrenaline phase is is mobilizing fat and glucose from your extremities, your brain cells and your extremities. And like you pointed out, you're not running and you're not fighting. So where's it going? It's lining your arteries and it's building fat in your torso. Uh, we just lost a great mountain biker in Scotland. I think he's Scottish or, or UK from the UK this week um, to a heart attack. He's in his 30s. And, and people will say, well, they'll ask me because I, I work with triathletes, marathoners, you know, runners. And they'll say, well, gosh, you're in such great shape. Like what's happening? If you take a good look at a triathlete, if they're triggering fight or flight because they're anxious about their races or their travel to get somewhere, whatever the small thing is, you'll notice these bands of stress fat. They don't really have a waist. They're these bands of stress fat that's trying to protect them. Mm. And if I see that, I also know that their arteries are being lined. So I look for that. And if I see that, I know that because I used to be a distance runner and I had that. Hmm. Back when I was back in the 80s. And I was like, oh, that's what that is. And so it's really cool to watch that fat dissipate and come off of there. 
And I keep thinking, oh my gosh, how did I heal my arteries? I healed myself of so many things in, an, in about eight weeks of using the method on myself. Mm. It was like a miracle. And so there's so many little insidious ways that we are, um, we're being attacked from the inside out. And when we can, when you can gain control over that piece, then so much else in life is going to make sense. And there's a ripple effect. Like one woman I was working with, she's an HR director of a large company. She goes, wow, in one week, she goes, this is going to change my family's life forever. She has four little kids. <laughs> it's like, this is going to change so much. So it's like your eyes are open and then you understand. And then I just take people through um, a series of, of sessions where I'm teaching more and more tools. So I teach body tools, mind tools, and life design tools to break the stress cycle. And I never know which ones people are going to like the most. Sure. Like I, had a little, I had a little 12 year old Uber. I'm, I'm, I'm starting a 12 year old tonight. I have yeah, 10 are my youngest, my son and a couple other 10 year olds. Um, but I will actually coach as young as 12, I'll say 12. Um, and those tend to be um, Uber academicians, athletes, performers, you know, they're kids who want to achieve, but stress is starting to affect them. And so I was working with a 12 year old little basketball player and she, I thought, oh, she's going to like my body tools. I was prejudging, <laughs> if you will. And she liked my most sophisticated tools. And the way that she used them and she incorporated them, I'm like, okay, I'm never going to prejudge again because look at this girl go. She's just taking off with this. So um, we will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by the newly released book, Dream Life Planner Move from Tired and Overwhelmed to Free and Empowered by Noelle L. Peterson, available on Amazon. Or you can order a personalized signed copy at Empower, E M P O W E R 2 dream.com. That's Empower number two dream.com. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. The, the, the huge power, right, in, in using your mind and and working between your mind and your body. Um, yeah. And obviously, a lot of this we focused on the negative side of that. If we help lower this this stress threshold, first of all, right, so that so that you're not living on the edge, it gives you more room for that reaction, right? It gives you more room for that annoyance. And then and then when the annoyance happens, you really do have that period of time to say, wait, is this something that's bothering me or am I going to, you know, freak out? You, right? have, and, you and, really only have 10 seconds, by the way, you've got 10 seconds, but 10 seconds is plenty of time. Oh no. 10 seconds is an eternity when it comes eternity. to the brain. <laughs> exactly. it's, it's plenty of time, but it takes about 10 seconds for the amygdala to fire, to tell the heart rate to charge up, to tell the adrenal glands to release. And if we can, the amygdala may fire, but you still can keep the heart rate down. And now the adrenal dance will not release that flood of hormones. So that's what we're playing with, that, that 10 second solution and tools. So targets, triggers, tools, and the 10 second solution is how I work with people. And of course, I keep it super simple because you are very complex. <laughs> your past traumas, your past experiences, your habits of reactions are generations old and not just your folks, but anyone you emulated. So if you emulated a teacher in school or um, a peer, 
you know, you're just, you're just connecting in there. So, um, so yeah, so we have to untangle a lot <laughs> and yeah, usually my clients make breakthroughs between the six and eight week period when we're working together. And by a breakthrough, what I mean is they have a breakthrough day. They go the entire day without triggering fight or flight even once. And when that happens, that night their body is rejuvenating, regenerating, and actually healing. Oh, and it changes so sleep for sure. Oh, yeah. You actually get a real night's sleep because you can get into delta wave sleep. Um, if you're smoking pot, by the way, you'll never get there. So if you're using marijuana to get to sleep at night, I have clients who've come to me and they're like, I got to break this because now I like I lost my job. I'm not functioning well because I'm tired. Like, why am I so tired? Because I'm finally getting to sleep because I'm using weed to get to sleep, right? But the problem is it doesn't allow you to get into a, your brain to get into real sleep. Your body will shut, relax and shut down. Um, but there's a lot of issues with that one. And melatonin too, like the number one call to, um, what is it, um, poison control today is an overdose of melatonin in children. This is scary to me. Like parents are using melatonin to try to get their kids to sleep because they're anxious. Their kids are anxious. Well, and, and they're, and yeah, and they're trying to get their kids to sleep. So they get that one moments of peace before, before bedtime, because they're, they're so, they're so wound up. Everybody's so, so wound up. up. So, so wound up. Ooh, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the positive side of, of these brain chemicals. And, and, and we don't talk enough about, about the, the dopamine and the oxytocin and the serotonin and the other endorphins that, that our brain and body are designed to give us when we feel joy, when we smile, when, when we experience some of these, some of these positive things. And even when we, when we, when we first hit a trigger, right, that trigger comes. And if you smile in those first 10 seconds, that might be all it takes to stop it. Right. That's exactly. And, That's a very simple tool. Smile is <laughs> a very simple tool. Um, and the corners of the mouth need to go up. Take a look at people smiling. You'll notice that when some people smile, it's like this way. <laughs> I have a theory. It is not, it's, it's complete hypothesis. Okay. So, so caveat, this is a hypothesis. I would take a guess that those are people whose moms had postpartum depression. So they never saw a real smiling a lot when they were first born. Wow. And because a real smile, the corners of the mouth are going up. <laughs> and if your corners go up, you keep dopamine flowing, the right amount of dopamine, not like a, a hit because you just had a glass of wine or a piece of chocolate. <laughs> the right amount of dopamine is flowing. And dopamine is required for your entire cortex and hippocampus to function properly. So it's not just a feel-good drug. It is, is actually required for this to, to function properly. So once you get that happening for yourself, you're so right that um, there's so much else that's in there. And I, I'm sure you came across that latest study with, with the serotonin, the SSRIs, like probably people should not even be on those medications, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a doctor and I'm not a professional, but I will tell you that I believe the majority of those our system created those drugs because of well-meaning doctors saying, I want to help my patient and well-meaning oh. pharmaceutical companies saying, Ooh, we could sell your patient something like an aspirin that'll take away their sadness. And wow. the problem now is we have an entire culture of medicated people who just feel less sad. Yeah. And 
the other thing that I've discovered too is um, I had a client who um, was being given so many different medications at the same time. And as he and I were, were, were untangling it, I came to the realization a lot of times a, a mental health professional is doing this simply to try and help this person stay alive. Yeah, like absolutely. A, really a last ditch effort. And so we got to try as much as we can to keep this person alive. And so and, that, and the problem is that, that, that it, that's what stays is the solution rather than helping them do the mind and body work that'll get them to a place, right? I mean, just so obviously you've worked with athletes, but but for those non-athletes, understanding how the mind-body connection works and just the power of of a walk, the power of of yeah. putting your body into motion, you know, just a little bit in the day, maybe twice a day, right? Getting getting your body in motion impacts the mind, it impacts your ability to think. And and the two of those work together in really powerful ways. Well, and here's an important tool that I teach. Um, usually up front, I call it the starter tool. <laughs> it is um, a gross motor motion. So in that first 10 seconds, if you do a large motion that your body usually doesn't do, I call it the celebration Ferris wheel, and you just push up like this and get this wheel spinning. Um, a gross motor motion as an adult is one of the few ways that you can actually create neural pathways instantly in order for um, a habit to transform quickly. And so if you just push in the air with your hands, you instantly are telling your brain, oh, something's going on here. And you get to craft the habit then in the 10 seconds. So any large motion, when you were a child, your cortex grew from back to front through gross motor motion, large motions, not holding a crayon and writing, <laughs> but large motion. And so when we, we could talk forever, my friend, <laughs> but you know, when we're, when we're giving ADD, ADHD students drugs to calm them down so they can sit in classes, so we're actually retarding their brains because they need to move for their cortex to grow and for them to get full executive function. And I think that is, that is something that really needs to change because so many students are not, not developing. It's gonna take them to like, I don't know if they'll ever get their brain to the point where they can make really good decisions, executive decisions and have the willpower, the two spots for willpower, two are depowered. Mm. That's that's critical, you know, it's, to have it. You you and I are definitely in, in the same in the same <laughs> book. My so when my, my wife's the oldest of four and her 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 younger brother's ten years younger. And so when we were first dating, he was in eighth grade and and uh his parents uh, his mom was afraid of him and his dad just didn't have a clue how to how to help him and and so his dad you know, was angry and threatened him. And then when he threatened his mom with a baseball bat, they got him on Ritalin and, and, and he was a basket case. Like we took, my wife and I took him to a college hockey game and he just sat in the seat and stared. And I'm like, all right, this is, this is, this isn't right. And I said, he can move in with us and we'll, we'll take care of him and I'll get him to school. And the school system's a whole nother story, but I took yeah. him off Ritalin for that summer. And, and I took him camping and I took him hiking and I took him, you know, we just did, we just did stuff. And, moved, yeah. and he's, and he's never been on Ritalin again, 
but I can see the impact. He couldn't read and write. He was functionally illiterate and the school system just kept pushing him through because he was on special education. But now he's, he just turned 40 this year and because of his relationships and, and things that have been happening with his, he's got two uh, teenage boys. He was looking on the internet, trying to figure out what's wrong with my girlfriend and what's wrong with these boys and started watching these videos. And he and I chat regularly and, and, uh, and he realized, wait a minute, it's not them. It's me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but, yeah. it, but it took him till he was 40. And he'll, so here's a kid who never read a book his entire high school up through high school, never read a book. And this year he's read, almost 40 books <laughs> and, and he's changed his entire life. But, but I'm wondering now if, if some of what was happening to him then held him back all this time because it took his body that long to, to free itself. Right. And, yeah. and now he's, and now he's free and he's changed, he's changed his relationships. He's changed his, his marriage. He's changed his, his business. And, and it's exciting to see that, you know, he's, he's leaning into this personal development and personal growth. And, and really it's, it's changed everything for him. Oh, so beautiful. Yeah. It's, um, and again, everybody's doing the best they can. Like if oh, you, absolutely. You know, if you have a child who is violent um, and you know, that violence piece again, I got to come back to weed again because <laughs> about 18 to 20% of the population from just the very first time they ever try it, they experience psychosis, serious psychosis, schizophrenia sometimes, violent action. And if you got somebody, I always say, if somebody's, if a child is violent, are they doing weed? Ask, mm. just ask that question. It's pretty interesting. The answer is almost always yes. Wow. And it was California when they legalized that first started to see this pattern of kids coming into the ER, like 13 to 16 years old. It was their first experiment with weed. And they mm. were going straight into the mental ward. So what's going on there? You know, what's happening? So it's, it's interesting. Um, well, it definitely, you, it definitely, yeah, it, we're creating, I don't know what we're creating. It's, it's definitely not good. I mean, we're, I'm in Colorado where it's, you know, it's been legalized almost longer than California. In fact, it's legalized now for recreational use. And so it's right. just, it's been normalized here. Right. And, right. and and there, there are tons of people self-medicating with it because yep. because well they're quote unquote doctor who you know for medical marijuana doctors you know it, it was good for cancer pain right that's where this all started and now it's good for everything <laughs> it's just yeah, the it's the crazy. one it's the cure all for everything that could possibly be wrong with you and and of course, the worst How thing is you have living in tents on the streets. No, more and more. Well, and here's the even worse Portland. thing: go to is, Portland. Yeah. Can't even walk down the street now. You hear the hear the hear this. The sadder thing is that you know in the 70s and, and 80s, the marijuana that was out here, you know, was two two percent THC. It, it was you know. This was Cheech and Chong's marijuana, right? Having, you know, the good time in the back of the car and, and smoking. The marijuana in Colorado, the average right now is 19% THC. And we've got people that are what they call dabbing. And they take they take the marijuana and they get the liquid concentrate out of it. And it's it's they're designed it like the tip of this pen is the amount right, right. you're supposed to use. And people are, are using, you know, dime-sized portions of that. And, and so it's... 
because it's like a hundred percent concentrate. It's, it's, it's like, yeah, it's crazy what we're, what we're doing. It's not, and it's not a plant anymore. It's chemically, genetically altered to, to the extreme. <laughs> and those are probably the same people that would never have any GMO corn. Right? Oh, <laughs> I, I had the exact same thought as I was saying that statement. It's like, Oh yeah, that I bet you they're the same. Yeah. That's, that is really funny. But it, to me, it's heartbreaking, right? I, it's I'm so thankful that my children, my children never tried it as kids. And, and, and now it's like, well, why would we do that? Right. And so, yeah. so I'm, I'm super thankful that my kids didn't get involved because I know too many that have and, and too mm -hmm. many that are, that are stuck in a weird place because of it. And, yeah. and now it's, it's too easy. Like you can, you can just go buy it and now you can just go buy candy and brownies and cookies and, and, and you don't even have to smoke it. And, yeah. and what that's doing to, to, to the brain yeah, right. is, is mind boggling. Yeah, really. You know, it's, I think that um, I did a brain health certification with Dr. Amen. He's the one that scans the human brain to see where there might be some things going on and um, fascinating work. And, and to do his certification program was fantastic and understanding how quickly you can actually heal your brain. So if you if you've been going through something and you have been self-medicating with wine, weed, any alcohol, you know, anything, and then you're feeling like I want to do something different, because people will come to me, they'll actually say, I feel even if they're not doing those things, but they're under so much stress, they'll go, I feel like my brain is broken. Ouch. And that is that is so I actually I'm like, I, I'd love to give that hope and possibility. It's like, okay, in a matter of weeks, we get to turn that around. Like your brain is so able to to pop around and actually make some things happen, but we got to get out of the stress cycle first because that completely depowers your brain each and every day. So when we can do that first, then let's see how you're thinking. Mm. Because that brain fog, the you know all the all the things that would make you turn to something to want to feel good, that stops happening once you're not triggering stress hormones. Well, and, and then you can actually feel your emotions. You can actually feel the, the <laughs> experience, yeah. the emotions, right? And, and recognizing, I think there's a reason. I, I mean, we know scientifically that, that the lower emotions, right? The grief, the shame, the guilt, those are all low vibrational frequencies. Those are all, ugh, those are all the things that your brain, <laughs> you know, feels body. And then, and then when you get above, and I call it the line of courage, right? When you take responsibility for your life, you take responsibility for yourself and you're no longer a victim and, and you're taking responsibility, just, just owning your, owning yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. And you get, you get up into these positive emotions, you know, joy and peace and, and, and love. <laughs> and, and these are high vibrational frequencies and these are what lead to the body feeling amazing. <laughs> and, and, and actually waking up every day going, wow, I, I love my life and I love my, my life. brain. Yeah. <laughs> my brain is a huge part of, of my life. And, you know, sadness is an interesting one because um, I realized in 2010, my eldest graduated high school. And there was this moment as I was preparing for his open house where I got very sad that my folks had passed away. Like they mm. wouldn't be with us because they would have been with us for the whole week going to all this stuff. You know, I felt the same thing with my youngest graduated from Columbia last spring. Like, mm. oh, I, you know, I had this moment of sadness. 
here's what I realized. I used to trigger my sadness with anger. Mm. Like suddenly I'm angry at God for my parents dying and like angry at cancer, angry at heart attack, you know, angry. And so that day back in 2010, I didn't trigger stress. I didn't trigger the fight or flight stress response. And I truly believe I felt sadness, real mm. sadness for the first time. And it was a, a really beautiful emotion because it was pure. It wasn't laced with um, the stress hormones. And that was powerful. Well, and you, like you said, you can experience the emotion without, without the baggage. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and most of the time we feel like the baggage is what's triggering the emotion. And, and I think, I mean, it's, it's. Cart before horse, right? The, the, <laughs> you know, it's the serenity prayer, right? I mean, you know, help me understand the things I can control and help me know, you know, figure out the things I can't control and give me the wisdom to know the difference. And, and I can't control that my parent, my mom's passed away. I can't, I can't control that, but I can control how I react to it. And when the memory comes up rather than, you know, I don't want to get angry. I want to, I want to celebrate. And, and of course, you know, I, we're a terrible culture at grieving. We we don't grieve worth a lick. And I mean, I don't know, we're supposed to paint ourselves in black and be sad and miserable because because somebody's passed. And 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 the truth is all of us are going there. There's no there's no way out. There's no they haven't figured yeah. out a way to avoid that. And so death is a pretty big reality in most people's lives. Yeah. And if we learn how to how to grieve well and how to celebrate life and how to celebrate the memories, right? And how, how wonderful for you to, I mean, I, I like the idea of thinking about, oh man, this would have been so cool if mom and dad were here, we'd have spent the week together and, they, and they'd have been so wow. proud. And, you know, that those are good things. That's, you know, you know, you can either say that's a really good thing or you can get mad and sad and depressed about it and trigger yourself right <laughs> because, because you, because it can't happen. Yeah. And so, so that there's, think, there's still know, that choice in there. There's so much about, um, you know, what I, I call it, what's in your faith foundation, like your deep values, your deep beliefs mm. that inform how you even handle any of these things. And out of the mouth of babes, when my father-in-law passed away, um, we got the phone call and my middle son was, he was probably five or so. Mm. And he said, don't worry, mommy. Now Popper can be with us always. He can see everything we're doing. He couldn't do that before. <laughs> right? And then when my mother died, my youngest was about five. And we're lying in bed reading to go to sleep. And, um, and then we started talking about Grammy. And he goes, well, you know, Grammy's inside us now. She's in that blackness inside us. <laughs> So I love to hear what children have to say. They're very close to some things and they know mm. things. And when, when we were sitting in New York this spring in, at graduation and, and that thought came over me, those two things popped in my mind. I said, wow. okay, they're all, they're all here and we are all here. And it was that's a so joyous, joyous occasion. <laughs> yeah. That's so good. Yeah. I, I, I'm encouraged that you're out helping people and, and I Thank want you. more, more and more people to, to experience that, 
life, right? Experience life in their own yeah. control, life on their own terms, and yes. life where their brain and body are functioning in the way that they're designed to. Absolutely. And and, yeah. and helping them learn, you know, learn your triggers, learn some tools to to avoid those triggers becoming, you know, stress or, or fight or flight triggers and yes. and freeing yourself from being a slave to yourself. Yeah, exactly. Pressure-free living is a lifestyle. That's what one of my my clients calls it. She goes, it's a total lifestyle. And when you step into that lifestyle, you are free of, it's not perfection. It's protection from the release of these hormones. Mm. So you can really accept yourself. One of my young clients said, I found the true me. I found the true me. So beautiful. You know, who is the true us? We don't know if you're under the influence of those hormones. We don't even know our true selves. Another fellow who had been abused as a child um, was so afraid he was going to pattern the same way mm. with his own children. And um, and I said, well, let's just work together. Let's just see what's going to happen for you. And that was early in our work together. And a couple months in, I said, you know, I want to go back to that thing that you talked about because I have had an insight recently. And he goes, he goes, well, tell me about it. I go, I the more pressure-free I become, the more I am totally me and not either of my parents. Mm. And usually it's the negative aspects of our parents that we don't want to be, that when we hear ourselves say or do something similar, that we have this you know, uncomfortable feeling. But I said, you know, I, I don't feel that anymore. It's like I stepped into the true skin of me. And he goes, this is so cool because so am I. Like he was feeling those first steps of that. Which oh, is very, so, beautiful. Yeah, this it's so challenging, right? The minute we make a statement like, I don't want to be like my father. Yeah, right? Our brain doesn't hear the don't. No, it doesn't. The no. Just like you watch children and their parents tell them, don't do that. And, and they just go and do it because they don't hear the don't. And nobody understands. They, they, they think, no, you're just being disobedient. You're doing it. No, the child heard you say, go do that. That's what they heard. That's what their brain, their brain is reacting to what you just said. And, and don't is the worst word in the vocabulary. I think besides can't maybe yeah. it's, and even when we tell ourselves, I, you know, I don't want to be like my father. All my brain hears is I want to be like my father. And, yeah. and it starts, it starts doing that. And, and it's a, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, just recently had read uh, no more uh, no more Mr. Nice Guy. And and the premise of the idea of nice guys is is that they were raised by either absentee fathers or 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 angry fathers or no father. And so they, they had that negative side, negative influence. Then they were raised by mothers for the primarily. And of course, mothers raising sons with un, when they're unhappy with their masculine partner <laughs> are trying to raise their sons without, with a different form of masculinity. Don't be like your father. And it creates, it creates this. So what happens to the boys that become men is, is they, they feel like they got to be somebody else. They got to act like something else and they don't get to oh, be yeah. themselves. And so th there's this whole, large population of boys becoming men that 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 feel like they have to put on airs right they have to act differently to to please women they have to act differently to 
to get the job. They have to act differently. And then they become liars because they're trying to cover up the way they're really acting and the way right. they're really being. And, and, and I'm, I'm sure they're triggering themselves constantly because okay. <laughs> so, they're constantly in this stressed out place of, of, well, they're, I mean, obviously they're, they're not in harmony with themselves. And so that right. lack of integrity, that lack of, whoo, man, what a mess we're creating out there. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And, you know, I, I just recently, um, I talked to my clients about this, but I had a conversation with someone else. I, I call it like the in-between generations. Mm. So people that are about, I would say like 70 to 85 right now, they came of age in the 60s and 70s. Um, in the cultural transform, uh, cu cultural revolution, and what I refer to as the me generation. It's mm. all about my pleasure. You know, who cares about marriage? It's just all about my pleasure. I'm gonna have as many partners as I want. Like all that, all of that, right? Um, and and its effect on the nuclear family meant that 1970, first year, there's 50% divorce rate. So then that their children are in their 40s right now, and that's a real high divorce rate, people in that that subset right there. And the ones that I coach, they don't even really know how to be in a relationship. They've never seen one. Right. So so now their kids are now teens. But then there's the in-between ones. So like my parents were not a part of the 60s revolution at all. They were coming out of the end of the 50s. And so how they raised us and how I'm raising my kids, it's like, every 15 years it's a different thing it's a different mm. focus and it's interesting to me to watch that and of course family culture plays the biggest role you know but sure. I'm, I'm watching this kind of thing happen and um and it's 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 just an interesting thing to note and and say okay what no matter whether your parents stay together or not like what what was missing because all of us have something that was missing or of not course. nothing was Nothing was perfect. So, so it's like, okay, what is it that, what building block do we need to work on? Mm. And, and that deep empowerment to begin to trust again. If you ever did. Right. If you ever got a chance to trust, you might not have ever had a chance to truly trust. Mm. Yeah, there, there's so much. Uh, obviously, one of the pieces that I help people is looking at their stories, right? What are the stories not ex not what happened in your past. What are the stories you tell yourself about what happened in your past? <laughs> and yeah. and how do we how do we make sure those stories are empowering you in your present to get you what you want in your future? And, yeah. and and it's a powerful exercise because I mean it's it's easy to say, you know, well my parents were blah and 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 that's caused me to be blah and 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 you've mentioned it a few times. They were doing the very best they had with the tools that they had, even even people that are abusers, not to excuse the abuse because no. that's inexcusable, but they were doing the best they had with the tools that they had, and 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 we've created we've created a a, a large population without relationship tools, without yeah. money tools, without they they have never seen a, a a marriage. They they don't know how a marriage and relationship is supposed to work. Yeah and, yeah, and then they watch television or romance movies, and and that's their that's their idea of of what oh. a relationship should look like, and that's hello, true. that's gonna fall on its face because yeah. it's fictional, it's yeah. not even real. <laughs> so 
So yeah, hey, Robert, we, I, I do have a hard stop at 5:30 with a client, but um, but this is what you just brought forward. I actually had a client who who tried to learn about relationship from television, mm. and and then got into her marriage and was like, it wasn't at all like that. And so then she was so confused. But her own situation growing up, there it was just a mess. So she didn't know. Oh, so, you know, so it's challenging. There's a, again, we've become real lonely too. We're, we're off in these little silos. And so I, I think that's one thing that 2020 and the internet brought. Oh, is now like you can connect to people and get help that you never knew was even existed before. Yeah, we so. can stop some of this isolation. All right, Al, thank yeah. you so much. This is so exciting. I want you to leave and, and let all these people know listening. Um, I want you to leave them with Al's words of wisdom. What would you share? Yeah, it's it's I think the biggest thing is is you're going to be okay. Learn this. Learn what what we do. Learn it and it will open you up and you'll get to find the real you. Mm. And it's so much more beautiful than you ever could have dreamed. <laughs> um but there is hope and possibility. What I want to leave you with is hope and possibility that whatever is going on for you, there is a way into something better. Oh. Oh, thank you so much. If you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, or leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvaluemindset.com. That's addvaluemindset.com. We've collected some of the best mindset secrets shared by successful entrepreneurs on our podcast, and we want to give them to you for free. addvaluemindset.com. In our next episode... Mike Kim talks about consistency, which creates credibility, which creates a following. His routine includes the five-minute journal, which starts each day with gratitude. He believes so strongly in it that he requires all of his clients to use it. Mike shares about developing the brand within you.